Well, it's a pleasure to be with you all today. I mean, I'm here every week, but it's a pleasure to, to be up here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and that um, allowing me to, to serve with you in this way. Uh, if we've not met, my name is Ben, and I do um, campus ministry uh, over at the college with an organization called RUF. Uh, and so it's a, it's a delight uh, to be with you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the end of the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. You can be turning there. And Paul is wrapping up this letter of encouragement. Uh, Philippians is actually something like a, a missionary thank you note. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you knew that, but the church in Philippi had been supporting Paul, and they had sent him a gift through a friend named Epaphroditus that we'll look at in a little bit. And he's writing to encourage them in the gospel and to thank them, uh, pointing them to the incarnation of Jesus as their source of joy and peace. And uh, so we're going to be looking here with some pretty famous, uh, pretty famous verses here that we're going to explore together, talking about anxiety and contentment. So Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you uh, would give us your peace. Show us your presence this morning and set us free to walk in that peace and live in your love. We pray this in your name. Amen. On Friday, uh, my family and I will be driving down to Florida. We'll go to Atlanta and stop over with my parents and then head the rest of the way down for RUF's annual summer conference. Very excited about it. We've got a great group of students going. Um, in some years, my family comes with me. In some years, it's better for them to stay back. We've had a couple episodes on the road of somebody getting sick in the car and traumatizing everyone. And so there was a few years where I had to fly, but it's more fun when I can bring my family. And several times per year, I have to fly. I go to Denver, I go to Dallas, sometimes to Atlanta. Uh, for RUF staff training, it's this thing I have to go uh, and do. I've, I've been doing it 13 years, but I still require two weeks of training uh, per year uh, to keep doing it. And uh, I, I can't stand the flights. You know, I like to complain about it. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's just... I, don't, I used to think it was cool when I first started the job, and now it's, it's just a chore. Um, I know a lot of you travel uh, quite a bit for your jobs, but I was reminded recently of uh, an episode of Conan O'Brien I saw years ago where there's a comedian sitting on his couch who talked about uh, air travel. He talked about this. He said, people talking about flying, people like me complaining about flying, he says this. It was like the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes, right? And then we get on the plane, and they make us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We just had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? 
Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? Wow, you're flying. It's amazing. Everybody on every plane should just constantly be sitting there going, oh my goodness, I'm flying, I'm flying. You're sitting in a chair in the sky. Um, yes, but the seat doesn't go back that much. You know, it's just like that's a, you know, and he nailed me. Like he just, he just uh, exegeted my heart and proved to me uh, what, a, what a wretched person I am. Uh, he's pointing out something really helpful here that uh, so often our contentment and our anxiety or our lack thereof um, are not so much about the circumstances of our lives, but more about us and our perspective on them. Um, it's really a problem with me. And Paul, in this book here, in Philippians, is talking about how God has come near to us in Christ all throughout the book. And what's really interesting, um, I'll have a little quarrel with whoever decided where the verses fall. If you look at the end of verse 5, it really ought to go with verse 6. We, we tend to pick up verse 6, that don't be anxious about anything, but what does he say before that? Why? Why not? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand, this beautiful, pregnant phrase. That means so much. It's this idea that God is near. Jesus has come near to us in his incarnation. And it's got a sense of his closeness, his nearness to us, but it also has that sense of, if you grew up reading the Chronicles of Narnia like I did as a kid, this idea that Aslan is on the move, that Jesus is at work, that he is spreading his kingdom, promising to return, dwelling with us by his spirit, that he has entered into the human story in Jesus Christ. And because our Lord is at hand... There's a whole lot here for us to unpack. And because God is at hand, because our Lord is at hand, we can, several things. First, we can expose our anxiety. We can expose our anxiety. We can practice peace. And we can learn contentment. Expose our anxiety, practice peace, and learn contentment because God is at hand. First, let's expose our anxiety. Um, I, I mentioned I work at the College of William & Mary. You guys will agree it's sort of an anxiety factory. Like, we, we attract stressed-out people, and then they merge with one another and cross-pollinate, and uh, we produce it for ourselves. I had a friend who's uh, on faculty at the college. He's not a believer. He's worked at some other schools, and he was asking me. I've been here longer than him, but uh, he's got way more experience than me. But he's like, something that is different about here. People are a little bit more stressed out. What's, what's that about? Um, but we also live in a stressful age, uh, not just at William & Mary, but uh, anxiety and depression are, are running up off the charts in new ways. There's all sorts of studies being done on how perhaps the iPhone, the smartphone is affecting that. that We are constantly distracted. We can't sit with our thoughts. We're looking for entertainment, but we're also looking for information. Uh, uh, The smartphone has created this illusion of omnipresence, that we can be everywhere at once, anywhere in the world. It's created an illusion of omniscience, that if there's information out there, I can acquire it at a moment's notice. And that actually is more than we can handle and it creates stress and anxiety for us. Uh, We are anxious people. Um, But as I'm talking here about anxiety, I wanna make a quick sidebar. I'm not speaking in the clinical sense. Uh, The Bible shows us that we are broken creatures in every way, that the world around us is broken, that our hearts are full of sin, but also that our bodies are frail. Uh, And I'm not talking about, here's a little magic wand to. cure your clinical depression and anxiety after the end of this sermon. Um, And I don't think that's what the Bible uh, teaches us to think and to believe or how it teaches us to treat one another when we're struggling. So I just wanted to make that clear. But at the same time, I think there is real help and real hope and real encouragement for all of us, no matter where we are in our struggles. Um, Well, how does it help us? Verses 6 and 7, so famous. Do not be anxious about anything. 
but by prayer and supplication make your requests known to God. Um, have you ever had that moment, though, where you tell someone, you tell a friend, a confidant, you know, I'm really anxious about something, and then the response is sort of like, well, you know, Philippians 4 has a few things to say about that. You know, like, oh, it says to not to? Oh, great. Okay, like, I wasn't aware. Like, that's, thank you. That was really helpful. Uh, have you prayed about it? You know, like, uh, yeah. But at the same time, there is something really wonderful here, that because the Lord is at hand, we can be honest. We can expose our anxiety. And we can be honest with ourselves, we can be honest with God, and we can be honest with each other. And that's exactly what Paul shows us here. Um, but it can be hard to admit it to yourself, right? If you think that it is like this egregious failure of faith to be anxious ever, it's really hard to then admit to yourself that you're doing that. And the more we pretend that we're not anxious, ironically, the more anxious we become. We might even be anxious about the fact that we're anxious. Um, it feels like a failure, cause, so I don't want to admit that it's real. But I can also be honest with God. He does say that the advice, the question, have you prayed about it, is not a bad question by itself. Um, in itself. <laughs> it's a bad question maybe by itself, but not in and of itself. Um, prayer, let your requests be made known to God. Um, I so often worry about things for days and weeks or even months before it occurs to me to pray about them. If I'm under, I mean, I pray. It's funny. Um, I'm in ministry. I mentioned that before. Um, so I'm literally paid to pray. Like, it's part of my job description is prayer. Um, many of you contribute to the ministry. Or you people pay me to pray. And yet, I often think of prayer as an airbag in the car of my life rather than the gas pedal. It's this last resort. It's something that... I, I pull out once everything has gone wrong. Um, I want to train myself, and I want us to learn together to when we are anxious, to use that as a trigger for prayer. If you're anxious about something, take it to the Lord. Bring it to him first and not last. Um, several years ago, when our family was expanding, we had to move from like a regular car to um, a station wagon. And so I had done all the research and gone to all the websites and read Consumer Reports, and I would picked out the one that I wanted in the best year, and da-da-da, and I'd done all this work, and I was about to buy one, and then it fell through, and I was feeling really stupid for not pulling the trigger when I had the right time, and I just was so upset and just had been worked up about it for weeks. And then a friend of mine told me about this, uh, there's this ministry uh, that buys cars for people. I mean, they don't buy it. You give them the money, but they find a car for you if you're in ministry, and they help you. Um, which is a little weird and uh, favoritism and kind of strange. But I called, this, I called this business, and I talked to the guy, and I told him kind of what we were looking for, and I was, I was really worked up about it. The next morning, the president of the company called me, and he said, hey, you know, that station wagon you were talking about, um, would, you, would you buy it from me for trade-in value, the Blue Book trade-in value? And I was like, well, yeah, yes. And he said, okay, because I bought it last night without asking me first. It's like, good. And I thought, how, like, these weeks of stress and anxiety when somebody more competent and more capable was, I could just hand it over to them and they took care of it for me. How much more so with the creator of heaven and earth? He is capable, far more than I am. We've got to be honest with ourselves, honest with God, also honest with each other. Uh, flip back a page, or maybe if you're in the Pew Bibles, you don't even have to turn the page. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 25. I mentioned Epaphroditus earlier. He's been there to visit Paul. And, um, and this is something I never noticed uh, for years. I just noticed this for the first time a couple years ago. 
We'll read for context. Paul says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. You just hear Paul's love for his brother Epaphroditus and for this church in his words. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He's honest about his emotions, right? And then verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. A few paragraphs later, he's going to say, don't be anxious about anything. And yet here he says, I need to send Epaphroditus to you. Because once he's back in your arms, I'm going to feel a lot less anxious. He doesn't even say, then I'll be not anxious. Less anxious. He realizes that the people that God has put in his life are part of the solution to his anxiety. And while he is telling us the truth in chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything, peace is available. He also knows that we live in this reality that... We have to be honest. We have to expose our anxiety and our worry because anxiety at root is a lie. Worry is a narcissistic lie that tells me that I can control my life in every way. And if I can't control it with my actions, I can lay awake at night and control it with my thoughts. Right? I'm just going to think about it. And that will fix it. No, it won't. I've told this story actually from this pulpit before, but I... A professor I had in seminary that I adore, his name's uh, David Calhoun. Uh, he's a professor emeritus of church history at, at Covenant Seminary. He struggled with cancer for decades, and has, the Lord has kept him going. Um, he's written some great uh, church history books, but he told us a story in class about Martin Luther and his friend Philip Melanchthon. And most of us haven't heard of Melanchthon, but Melanchthon was Luther's right-hand man and helped sort of codify a lot of his theology and get a lot of the workout was incredibly instrumental in the Protestant Reformation, and he was also a very, very anxious man, um, very full of worry, uh, a perfectionist. Um, and, of course, they were putting their necks on the line with what they were doing. I mean, there were real threats in their life. It wasn't, you know, it was understandable anxiety. But Philip Melanchthon wrote in his journals that the thing that would help him the most when he was caught in these fits of anxiety is that Martin Luther would come and he would put his arm around him and say, let Philip cease to rule the world. Let Philip cease to rule the world. You are not in control. The Lord is at hand. Anxiety is a lie. Expose it and move towards your Savior. And because the Lord is at hand, we can do that. Because the Lord is at hand, we can also practice peace. We can practice, practice peace. And he calls it a peace that transcends all understanding. This idea that peace is, in a sense, the opposite of anxiety. It's the sense that everything is right. Everything will be okay. The shalom of God will make things right with you, even when the circumstances are not. But how does that play itself out? How do we, how do we experience and practice that peace in our lives? Um, Paul gives us more. Because, see, anxiety and worry, they're kind of dwelling we're thinking about these things in our hearts and in our minds. And then he says, dwell on this instead. Verse, verse 8, 
whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Set your mind on these things. See, anxiety, when I am worried, it's not just what I am thinking about, it's what I'm not thinking about. And Paul is saying, don't just take your mind off the stuff, forget about it, move on, but rather, set your mind on these things, the beautiful truths of the gospel. And then verse 9, he says, what you have seen and heard in me, practice these things. Practice. And the God of peace will be with you. God of peace will be with you. That God is near. Um, the Lord is near to us. And as we practice setting our minds on his truths of his gospel, we know his nearness and his peace more fully. Um, I mentioned the long road trip. When I, when I zone out at the wheel of the van, um, I just sort of, I'm just sort of, I don't know how I'm a actually driving. Like my brain has left, but I'm still avoiding traffic and stopping and doing all the things and taking the exits. And uh, sometimes my wife, Dawn, will be talking to me, and I will not know that. Um, it, it's great. It's wonderful uh, for our marriage. And, uh, you know, she's like, hey, you know, what, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm right here. Like, she was with me the whole time, but I was oblivious to her presence. And often with the Lord, it is that way. In our anxious thoughts, the, our mind has left, and we're on autopilot. And as we set our minds, as we practice these things, that Christ died and rose for me, that I am a new creation, that he will return, that he loves me, that I am no longer a slave but a son. I can rejoice, as Paul tells us to do all the time, and practice, put into action, not just what I'm thinking, but what I'm doing. That I would seek first the kingdom. He's saying, practice these things. Live in another way. Jesus of course, when he told us, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. A friend of mine said to me once about talking about our prayer life. He said, if all of your prayers were answered yes, would the world be changed at all or just your life? Um, a lot of times I don't have peace because I'm building the wrong kingdom. I'm chasing the wrong dream. And I want my fiefdom instead of the coming of the kingdom of God. But because the Lord is at hand, I can practice peace. I can set my heart on his kingdom and his truth. And then finally, because the Lord is at hand, we can learn contentment. We can learn contentment. Uh, verse 13, this famous, famous verse, right? I can do all things. I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me, right? Beautiful. We take it so far out of context, right? I was, um, this, this year I had the privilege of being the team chaplain to the William Mary football team. And we spent one, one evening uh, the night before a game, like, looking at this and sort of laughing together about how, like, this, like, it's, like, no offense, but it's William Mary, so they're not, like, I'm totally convinced that they're going to win tomorrow, right? You know, so, um, uh, wonderful dudes. They're, they're awesome, beautiful guys. But, um, you know, uh, and it, it, that's sort of how this is used, right? Like, I can, I can do it. I can conquer. I can be the CEO. I can get the promotion. I can get the A. I can make it to the podium through Christ who strengthens me. But that's, of course, not at all what Paul's talking about. He is in prison, right? He is in chains. And at some point in the not-too-distant future, he will have his head cut off by the Romans. And he's got a feeling that's coming, and he's alluded to that earlier in this book.
That's what he can do through Christ who strengthens him. And now, I get to say, shame on you people for your little worries. Look at Paul. He was in prison facing death, and he was content. And you're worried about your kids and paying for college and the gas bill and what job you're going to get when that internship's over. Hmm. Right? Yes, we need, we need perspective, and we need Paul's perspective and the Bible's perspective. And no, the things that we tend to worry about are not that big of a deal. But you and I, by virtue of being here, we are not in prison. And we are not facing a death sentence. But if suddenly ISIS were to break in and oozy down half of us and drag the rest of us to a cell and put us in chains, our perspective would very quickly change. And the Lord would meet us there. As he met Paul. See, God hasn't put you where Paul was, so the battle with anxiety and contentment that you and I have is where we are. You are worried about your job because you need a job. You're worried about your children because you have children. And you are not a spiritual weakling because that's what you're going through. And Paul himself says, I have learned to be content. Paul whom Jesus struck blind on the road to Damascus had to learn how to be content. He had to learn it. How do we learn? I have a five-year-old little girl. Her name is Phoebe. And uh, she has a one-and-a-half-year-old cousin who lives in Richmond named Sadie, who is just the apple of Phoebe's eye. She talks about her all the time. And Phoebe's been learning to write. And... uh, There was a long stretch there where several times a day, I would get the question, how do I spell Sadie again? S-A-D-I-E. She's getting better at it, making mistakes, but she's asking for help. She has to learn. And she is not ashamed to learn. I am often ashamed to learn. I think that I should have it. I think that I should know it. So I can't be honest with myself and God and others. And Paul was not ashamed to learn. Be patient with yourself. You are learning. We are learning. Contentment does not come naturally to anyone. It has to be learned. It has to be learned. And we can learn it too. Phoebe learns by asking her mom and dad and her brother and her other brother and her sister And then Paul tells us, we're going to learn from him now. He says, I've learned the secret. It's a secret. Here's the secret to being content. I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord is at hand. Paul talks about Jesus all the time where he's talking about in Christ, through Christ, with Christ, of Christ, from Christ, by Christ. It's all about this idea of being united to him and the power that comes from him because he has come near to us and joined himself to us, become one of us. As he says in this passage, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious. I mentioned uh, David Calhoun, my professor, earlier, um, and he read a book to us at the end of one of his classes. Uh, and he, he, It's a book that he uh, gives to his grandchildren, and uh, he's also an ordained minister, so he'll preach and sometimes do baptisms, and if he baptizes a child, he'll give them a copy of this book, and I have it. Um, 
It's The Runaway Bunny by Margaret Wise Brown. Um, he didn't give me this one. This is just my family's copy. But he said he would always write in the cover, um, this is one of my two favorite books. The other one is The Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. <laughs> Read this one first. Um, love David Calhoun. So he read it to us. I want to read it to you. Here we go, the runaway bunny. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I am running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. Here's the picture. I won't show you all the pictures. That's how you do it. That's how you read a book. If you become a fisherman, said the little bunny, I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on the mountain high above me, said his mother, I will be a mountain climber, and I will climb to where you are. If you become a mountain climber, said the little bunny, I will be a crocus in a hidden garden. If you become a crocus in a hidden garden, said his mother, I will be a gardener, and I will find you. If you are a gardener and find me, said the little bunny, I will be a bird and fly away from you. If you become a bird and fly away from me, said his mother, I will be a tree that you come home to. If you become a tree, said the little bunny, I will become a sailboat and I will sail away from you. If you become a sailboat and sail away from me, said his mother, I will become the wind and I will blow you where I want you to go. If you become the wind and blow me, said the little bunny, I will join the circus and fly away on a flying trapeze. If you go flying on a flying trapeze, said his mother, I will be a tightrope walker and I will walk across the air to you. If you become a tightrope walker and walk across the air, said the bunny, I will become a little boy and run into a house. If you become a little boy and run into a house, said the mother bunny, I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Shucks, said the bunny. I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. And Professor David Calhoun thinks that's a pretty good summary of the story of the Bible. That we run. But Jesus came after us. That he became one of us. That we... He became a gardener and a fisherman and anything else he had to do. To leave heaven and come to earth, to get us and make us his own. The Lord is at hand. He has come near. He has pursued you to the ends. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, taking human flesh to die in your place and rise for you. He has come for you and he is coming again. So let Philip cease to rule the world and pick up your crayon and learn to spell Sadie and have a carrot because the Lord is near. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us to the ends of the earth and beyond. Lord, we pray uh, that you would fill our hearts with your peace 
that it would transcend even our understanding, that we would become like little children and sent contentedly in your arms. Thank you for your patience with us and your love for us and your commitment to us. And help us to live as those who have been loved by you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.